welcome to Rabbit Trails. I am Jody Larson, joined by my daughter Emma, and on occasion, one or both of my sons. We have regular discipleship that includes Bible reading and discussion, in which we often get sidetracked. So we invite you to eavesdrop, as well as leave a voice message if you're listening on the Anchor Podcast app. This is our very first podcast episode. Thank you for joining Emma and me as we make our way through these pages of Scripture. We've been going through a Bible study on the epistles to the Thessalonians, and I thought that would be a good thing to record. A couple years ago, I bought a wall hanging at Hobby Lobby, which says, Live by grace, not perfection. So Emma, how does that work out in our home? I suppose grace mostly is learning to forgive, and um, you do a lot of the forgiving in this home. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for saying that. Well, I like to be sure that my audience of either readers or, in this case, listeners, are not um, misunderstanding what I mean. So in this day and age, people can have different definitions to words um, and words that I may use. And so I want to be clear about what I'm saying because it may not be the same as what you think that I intend. So Emma, what does grace mean? I know the simplified definition of grace is that it's God's unmerited favor. That's exactly what I'm meaning. Grace is so much more than that, though. The pages of the Bible are replete with the implications of just how this unmerited favor is displayed in our lives. And what I hope to accomplish with this podcast as a whole is to record the ways that God has proven time and again that His grace is sufficient. Before we start down our path with 1 Thessalonians, I want to wander off to somewhere else first. Obviously, you remember our exceptionally wonderful friend, Glendine, right? Yeah. Others who know her will recognize a few phrases I've picked up from being in her presence. Well, she gave me this mug. It's a Kate Spade mug, and it's kind of like a watercolor of a library where there's books and different things stacked up, some flowers, even even wine glasses, but that's neither here nor there. Well, the other thing that she gave me as a parting gift when we moved from Virginia to Iowa was a book. So it was a sweet gesture and it actually caused a great many tears. I hadn't read this book before, but I had heard it uh, was a really great story. And basically, as soon as I opened it and began to flip through its pages, Already, I was rating it five stars. The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom is this favorite autobiography I'm talking about. The idea that came to me immediately was that it manifests God's grace. Early in the book, she recounts her father reading from his Bible, as was his daily custom. And I quote, When Mama had poured their coffee, Father put in his rimless spectacles and began to read thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path 
Thou art my hiding place and my shield. I hope in thy word. What kind of hiding place? I wondered idly as I watched Father's brown beard rise and fall with the words. What was there to hide from? Tie a ribbon there. We'll answer that question later. You read The Hiding Place last year, Emma. What did you think of Corey's book? I thought it was pretty good. What did you like about it? Uh, it was a true story and it was very in-depth. Okay. Which character trait of Corey's stood out to you the most throughout the story? She was courageous and she was very loyal to her family. Okay. Do you think she is someone to emulate? She had her flaws, I'm sure, like everyone else, but for the most part, yes. Are you ready to read some scriptures? Sure. Okay, we're going to read from portions of the psalm that Corey's father recited. That's from Psalm 119, only the first line of each stanza. And this is a reading from the English Standard Version. Psalm 119, verse 1. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. 119 verse 9 says, How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? 119 verse 17, Deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. 119 verse 25, My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. 119 verse 33, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. 119 verse 41, Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. 119 verse 49, Remember your word to your servant, in which you have made me hope. 119 verse 57, The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. 119 verse 65 You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. 119 verse 73 Your hands have made and made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. 119 verse 81 My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. 119 verse 89 Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. 119 verse 97 Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. 119 verse 105 Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. 119 verses 113 and 114 I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Here is the second verse of the stanza. Um, it's added because this is where the title comes from for the Hiding Place book. 119 verse 121. I have done what is just and right. I do not leave, uh, do not leave me to my oppressors. 119 verse 129. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. 119 verse 137. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. 119 verse 145. With my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord. 119 verse 153. 
Look on my affliction, deliver me, for I do not forget your law. 119 verse 161 Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. 119 verse 169 Let my uh, my cry uh, come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. I think the most gracious thought of this whole psalm is the last verse. Here we find that after all these admissions of loving God's law and longing to know God's word and even singing his praises, there is the cold hard truth that what ends up happening is as the author writes, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. It's attributed to David, but some commentators suggest it may have been Ezra who wrote it. I'm in the camp of the traditionalists, so Ezra will have to be a rabbit trail for another episode. But no, beloved sisters, we are in good company when we fall down as God's chosen ones. None of the faithful ones in the Hall of Fame in Hebrews were perfect in their walk with the Lord. Our kind and gracious Heavenly Father sees us fall and comes to our aid, providing all the grace and peace we need to get through each day. So for a little backstory, we refer to the book of Acts in chapter 17 and verses 1 through 10. Emma, tell us about how Paul was connected to the Thessalonians. Okay, so in Acts 17, Luke gives the account of Paul and Silas first preaching the gospel to the Jews in Thessalonica at, the synagogue, at a synagogue on Sabbath. From the scriptures, he, Paul, explained the suffering, death, and resurrection of the Christ. Some were persuaded, including devout uh, Greeks and influential women. But the Jews, in their jealousy, gathered up some wicked men and violently protested. The mob couldn't find Paul and Silas, so they seized some of their brothers, uh, some other brothers, and brought them before the authorities and claimed that not only were these men turning their uh, world upside down, but they are also saying there is another king and his name is Jesus. That certainly was a disturbing message for them to hear, and yet it was made tolerable by having Jesus' followers give them a large sum of money. And we close that out with verse 10. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. So I want to make a note here that these are our observations based on what the text says. And though we are reading through 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, we are using a Bible study guide. by Kathleen Buswell Nielsen. So now we're going to go to scripture. 1 Thessalonians 1.1 Paul, Silvanus, who also goes by Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. The first thing in Paul's greeting is the church exists in real space and real time in specific places and they're all gathered together in that place and they are a church that has its being 
in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, the Anointed One, that Paul had preached to them earlier and in whom they believed. For clarity about what is meant by in whom they believed, I want to pause here and make a brief note of what one must believe about themselves and Jesus in order to be a believer. And this is just an orthodox, the orthodox view of Christianity. Well, you must acknowledge that you are a sinner. Right. God has expectations of his creation, and every human falls short of those. God is angry about sin. God also provided a way to reconcile sinful man to himself through his son, Jesus. You also must believe that Jesus is God. Right. You must, believe, you must acknowledge his sinless life. You need to acknowledge his resurrection. You must believe that Jesus accomplished all that is required for you to be reconciled to God the Father. Knowing our sinful state and being glad of our new life in Christ, it would have been such a joy to receive this letter from Paul. How does he greet the church in each of his letters? He says, grace to you and peace. Isn't that just the thing we need? His greeting habit is the kind of reminder that brings a smile to your face. The gift of God's grace and peace is what we long for as his chosen people. That's something I'm encouraged by in conversations with other believers. One of the things that makes relationships with other believers so much more powerful than just any relationship is that our love from God, it overflows to each other. We have this gift of love contained in the scriptures, and when we are familiar with it and use its words to comfort our friends in their afflictions and remind them of who they are in Christ, because let's be honest, we all sin even when we don't want to. Um, it, it's just a gift. So the things that we know from scripture about, um, about who we are in Christ is that we're set apart. We're adopted into God's family. We are a masterpiece. We're co-laborers and co-heirs. We are whole and new. We are beloved and we are a sweet aroma. We find these um, different uh, labels about ourselves in various um, passages of the New Testament and some even from, from back in the Old Testament. But that's not a comprehensive list of our new identity, though it is a good start. Vincent van Gogh and I share certain qualities, most notably our struggle with identity and direction. While I don't admit to having severe temperament issues, I have been depressed lots of times, way down in the downy dumps, wallowing away in my sorrow. So his early work is dark. I mean, the colors of his paintings. But after a bit of isolation and some mentoring, his paintings came alive with warming light. I think God has worked in a similar way with me. Now, definitely not everyone thinks that I have become a warning, a warming light. Uh, what do you think about Vincent Van Gogh, Emma? Honestly, it's been a while since I've seen his paintings, so it's kind of hard to say. Well, we do have one print of his hanging on a wall here in our house. 
it's right over in the entryway. And that one is his uh, more famous sunflowers print. Well, we also have one that isn't framed yet. It was, but that frame was broken. Um, that is the irises. But there are other places you've seen his work. Alright, um, it was at the Chrysler Museum of Art in Norfolk, wasn't it? Yeah. And we also saw uh, his work in an episode of Doctor Who with the 11th Doctor. Matt Smith. Yeah. So the touching part is at the end when the Doctor and Amy take him to the Louvre in Paris and show him how his art has impacted the world. And he even gets to hear an admiring curator tell the reasons for Van Gogh's greatness. It actually makes me cry whenever I watch that one. All right, let's hasten back to the scriptures. Verse 2, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. What a delight to know that Paul prays thankfully for them. When a dear friend tells me that they have been praying for me, it brings a sense of comfort and relief and joy. As a side note, sometimes the burdens we have in prayer are just too much for us to even speak words, but the Holy Spirit ensures that the Father receives our requests just right. Who has told you that they pray for you? people to pray for me so I don't really know who do you expect prays for you my friends family your mom <laughs> sure <laughs> okay well I appreciate what comes next here so verse 3 says remembering you before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. When someone notices that they think I've made a lot of progress, particularly in the case of something new to me, that's a confidence booster, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Soon we'll see that Paul is not flattering them at all. He is humbly, truthfully, and encouragingly writing them this truth. Well, I guess he's written it to them already. Not only does he say something like, seeing you grow blesses me, he goes on to tell them specific things which gave rise to his gratefulness. Way back when I was a baby Christian, I did not know there was an apparent distinction between predestination and free will. Now as a reformed Christian, I see no incompatibility with these two doctrines. I say this because I was reminded a while ago of a small group discussion led by one of the pastors of a past church we attended as a family. Oh, him. Um, I remember he called me Peanut. You didn't like that very much, did you? No. <laughs> okay, so a question arose of whether we were Calvinist or Arminian, and immediately I responded Calvinist. And of course, attending an Assembly of God church, my answer raised some eyebrows. Anyway, now we get to my favorite part of this epistle. It's the best word phrase of all word phrases. Verse 4, For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. That 
amazing. If you have affection for God, it's because he loved you first. Who doesn't appreciate being reminded of how much they are loved, not to mention by the creator of the universe who's gone to the trouble of knowing exactly how many hairs are on your head. So God chooses whom he chooses because he loves the people that he chooses. Yeah, that's exactly right. Verse 5 says, Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Paul and Silas came to Thessalonica and preached as usual in the synagogue, and they, the Thessalonians, believed the good news. Why did they believe the good news? Because the power of the message and the Holy Spirit's persuasion. Yes. The gospel was given to them simply. As with his letter to the Romans, there was no reason for Paul to be ashamed of what he told them. This message is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That's from Romans 1.16. And they were found to be trustworthy. Verses 6 and 7 say, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. What a consolation for Paul to be able to tell them that they had become just like their teachers. And not only that, nearly every Christian church had heard about their faith. News had gone beyond their city into other regions. The things he hears about them from others reveal that they are a transformed bunch. Praise the Lord, right? Well, let's finish these last few verses of chapter 1. Verse 8 says, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. Did you catch that? Yeah, the faith in the Thessalonian church was pretty obvious. Yeah, exactly. It so encompassed who they were that even churches from far away knew of their work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. Verse 9 says, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. There was repentance in Thessalonica. Here they heard the gospel and believed it, and tossed aside their idols which were lifeless and false. They turned to the living and true God. What is the mark of a true believer? It's turning away from idols. Uh, repentance is the mark of a true believer. So, when God opened my heart to receive the gospel, I was 16 years old. Remembering back on that part of my life, I might describe it as a time of affliction. So, sometimes sharing the gospel can bring loneliness and alienation. I admit that I've not always done a good job with this. If you were to look at my personal Facebook page, you'll notice that I talk about two primary things, my religion and politics. Since I have some people that pay attention to what I say, many rather quietly, I use that as a platform for sharing the gospel, or at least to point to Jesus. 
A lot of people say nothing, a few cheer me on, some just send messages, but I do not have the same relationships since becoming a Christian and growing as a Christian that I did at one time. It certainly isn't that I don't feel sad about losing friends, but I can't lose sight of the God who chose me. He's provided whatever I have needed to get through every trial, and God filled in the spaces where some things, including people, had been removed, and all of these things have been for my good. Now we conclude chapter 1 with the last verse, verse 10. And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So we know that Jesus Christ is returning because he has proven himself to be trustworthy. Everything he said he would do, he did. And the things he said would happen, have happened. So is there any reason for us to not believe him on this point? No, of course not. So he died, he was resurrected, he ascended, and he's returning to deliver us from the wrath of God. That's God's grace. He's coming to bring eternal judgment, something we do deserve, but because he chose us in love, we can live for eternity now without fear. And so we find that the thing young Miss uh, Tinboom wondered, what it was that we are hiding from is God's wrath. And we praise him that he provided a way to escape it. Before I say goodbye, I want to recommend that you read The Hiding Place, if you've not done so already. Holocaust Remembrance Day was just last week, so the timing is a little late, but it's always a good time to refresh our memories of dark times in history because it helps give perspective not just of the past, but how we can manage difficulty in our own day. And with that, in this first episode of Rabbit Trails. I look forward to seeing your comments on Facebook. We'll be back next week. See ya!